is for Hyphenate's podcast, the pilot, which uh, no one will ever hear. Uh, I am writer, critic, Hyphenate, Lee Zachariah, and with me is... Uh, hi, I'm uh, writer, hyphen, film student, hyphen, hack, <laughs> hyphen, Twitterer, Paul Anthony Nelson. I like that Twitter is now a job description. Oh, for go. me, yes. Uh, <laughs> it is It is epic. When the mm, yeah, I tend to tweet about 57,000 times a day, so, you know, it's, it, yeah. But it's entertaining. So. <laughs> it and is. This would be the point at which we introduce our guest co-host, but uh, we don't have one for our pilot. So... We'll just launch into it. Mm. Um, we'll start. All right, we're going to talk about the films released in May. Uh, did you see many films in May? Uh, no. Why, why was this? <laughs> because, as I mentioned before, one of my uh, one of my duties is film student, and uh, yeah, I've I've been studying so much and lacking so much in funds that it's just um, been a complete. Uh, vampirism of time so i'm pretty much going to be talking about films i've seen and you're going yeah to and i'm going to go well i see on your list there are a couple of them i did see at miff last year oh what what was that the white ribbon and fish tank yes well white ribbon uh but in fact both of those i saw at miff as well so i'm going off a year old memory mm. uh, so we could have done this podcast after miff we pretty much yeah could have done it a year ago and fantastic exactly <laughs> what did you think of them the white ribbon is a film that I guess stays with you as a lot of Haneke films do for me. Um, I've only, I'm only a recent convert to Michael Haneke's work, uh, pushed by my European loving, uh, European cinema loving um, girlfriend. European loving almost sounded <laughs> wrong. Um, yeah, I I really like Haneke's style. Um, I like the coldness of it. I like the the spare kind of very bleak view of humanity. It's great. Uh, but White Ribbon is a beautiful, beautiful film in terms of visually. Now I know you went quite no. there on that. Well, you? I look. I'm almost. I'm the only one who didn't seem to like it. In fact, all, all these people who I usually agree with, yourself included, loved it. And uh, I don't. I pretty much didn't like it for all the reasons you outlined. Then I'm not going to write Haneke off completely because I've heard amazing things about Hidden and mm. amazing, although not all positive things about Piano Teacher. And I do sort of want to mm. catch up on his stuff. But White Ribbon was just. I I got nothing out of it. I just got coldness and. Yeah, no. It, it's flummoxing at first view. Like I walked out going, okay, I, I, I don't know exactly what that's referring to or meant to be about. But the more you think about it, I guess. I mean, there is the 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 tagline that came before, um, that came with a lot of the the myth press mm. and the um, reviews is that it's basically where fascism begins. Mm. You know, from permissive fundamentalist religious kind of rule and places where that sort of thing's unchecked we end up with Nazism yeah of sorts dot 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 there's some more steps in between I'm sure of course um, mostly involve getting rejected from art school um, but I just found it such a great portrait of menace that's what I liked about okay. it I, I think I like Haneke because he does while he does have his own little tub to thump and some of it I do agree with because I don't have a particularly glowing view of humanity at the same time, I, I think he's a damn good thriller director. I think he's he's great at putting together vision, um, frightening imagery. Okay. Um, and just those images of like the little cluster of kids just standing at the side watching, waiting for shit to go wrong. Yeah, in I, black I, and white. I saw that in Children of Corn though, or Children. Yeah, but know. it just looked better here, yeah, and it was more. I mean, Children of the Corn usually somebody would, you'd be fine with that, and then somebody would open their mouth, and it's like, oh, that's right, they can't act. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. That's that's an interesting take on it. Uh, fish tank. What do you think, of fish tank? Yeah, um, 
I liked Fish Tank. Fish Tank felt like a lot of other... Felt like It felt very much of its genre. Very much a uh, British social kitchen sink drama. I know it has that great ending that... Uh, that I love so much. That you love so much. Yeah. Um, that, that delivered it all for you. Didn't quite knock it out of the park for me. Okay. Um, I thought Katie Jarvis in the lead, that was one of the best performances, female performances of last year. Mm. And was another one that was ignored at awards time yeah. in favour of bigger, flashier fare. But no, I thought she was fantastic and Michael Fassbender's always terrific. He's great, yeah. No, I really responded to Fish Tank. I, I spent a lot of my formative cinematic years thinking I wouldn't like what is usually derisively referred to as kitchen sink yeah. dramas. Yeah, I don't and mean that as a derision at all. No, no, I'm, but I'm it's, a fan it's of a lot of it. yeah, you kind of need that to describe what you're talking about and yet it is a bit of a pejorative and, mm. uh, and I always thought I wouldn't like it and then I saw uh, Shane Meadows' work and I saw Mike Lee's work and I'm, I'm discovering... I always think these every time I like a film like that, this is the exception to the rule. Yeah. And yet I'm struggling to think of a film in that subgenre yeah. that I don't like. And Fish Tank was the same. I really responded to it and wouldn't have guessed that a few years ago. Mm. So I really liked that. Um, so Shane you, Meadows is a fucking champ. Oh, yeah. Every The more I see of him, yeah. the more... Unbelievable. So you missed uh, Robin Hood? I don't think missed is quite the word <laughs> we're looking for there, Lee. I think <laughs> yep, okay. avoided. Avoided like the plague. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I didn't, and uh, yes, that was a wise move on your part. I, mm. God, I want to like Ridley Scott. And I yeah, like you know I've given, I've given Ridley's walking papers. You know that, right? I didn't. I didn't. You, you, I always got the impression you forgave him more readily than others were willing to. You kidding me? No, no, quite the opposite. There was a point, his little 2000, 2001 run of... God, it's almost like we're talking, we're in our auteur section, but I'll <laughs> leave this to another time. But yeah, um, he had that little three-pit of Gladiator Hannibal and Black Hawk Down. And at that point, I thought, I didn't like, I didn't love all of those films, but I liked something about all of them. Um, okay. And that was the last time I thought he was interesting. And then since then, it's been all Matchstick Men and Kingdom of Heaven mm. and then the Russell Crowe years. And yes. that's just the whole decade has been a wash for him and it was around the time of a good year I think that I gave that I because I, I think I'd seen Matchstick Men I hadn't seen Kingdom of Heaven because it held no interest for me mm. and then we got to a good year and it's like you know what Ridley nah sorry I nah you'd need to earn my ticket these days okay. and so the prospect of him and Russell Crowe yeah. Team Gladiator getting together to make a Robin Hood movie no I was a lot more interested back when it was... Uh, ah, interesting. Yeah. When it was Nottingham. When it was Nottingham, just because it was a different take on the material and I don't need to see the 50th Robin Hood film. I wanted to see what if they were the same guy, what if uh, Sheriff of Nottingham was a good guy. And yeah, pretending. I just liked the film that was about the Sheriff of Nottingham and I would have seen Russell Crowe in that. Yeah, because it's different and it's something we haven't seen before and this is... This is the same thing we've seen before, except it's everything interesting stripped out of... It's like Robin Hood does his tax for two hours. I don't care about how he became... Like It's like the prequel to all the interesting stuff. But isn't was... everyone in that, like, 50 years old? You got him and Kate Blanchett and... Who, who did... Kevin Durand. It's like, they're oh, all like... They're all, like... 40 something and it's like this isn't this is not an origin story you know Robin and Marion yeah, yeah well that's even worse uh, Robin and Marion is of course about Robin Hood when he's aging and mm. Marion when she is aging Sean Connery when he made that was younger than Russell Crowe <laughs> when he made his origin story just think about that for a second think about the ego <laughs> that it takes to play the young Robin Hood 
when you're older. That, that, that's a great Excuse double, me. those two films, I think. Wow. Although, what order you'd play them in, I don't know. Because I liked, I, I remember seeing Robert and Marion on the stand. I haven't actually seen the film, but I remember seeing it, the cover once and thinking, okay, mm. geriatric. Right, but then they're not geriatric at all, and and no. it's and and it's a sequel. It's you know, it's an after what happened. You know, it's an aging Robin Hood. It's what happened after all the stuff we've exactly. We've seen it's a different take on the material. Yeah. Now, um, who, who directed uh, American Gangster? That's Ridley Scott. That was Ridley. Okay, because the thing that it they have in common is they both have titles at the end of the movie that tell you what happened to the characters afterwards. And both of those titles are infinitely more interesting than the film we just watched. <laughs> it's not a good trend. It's not a good trend. For other, other big films, uh, Prince of Persia, which benefited greatly from being the film I saw directly after Robin Hood. Uh, really? So I was uh, in a very forgiving mood when I saw Prince of Persia, and it was a bit of fun. It's very disposable. I have no desire to see it again, but I have no problem. Well, I do have some problems with it. Uh, but it to- that requires talking about the ending. And, yeah. Um, uh, and The Losers, which was... I'm dying so to see fun. The Losers. I gotta tell you, I'm not a fan of action films. Like, I, see, I like I action films. Well, that's the thing, because I yeah. didn't grow up on them. They're not a part of my uh, in- intrinsic cinematic language, and I'm not beholden to them in any way. And it wasn't until I watched The Losers that I realised how much I missed a good classic action <laughs> film. Yes. And it's exactly that. And it's, it's really, it's so much fun. I can see from the trailers, it looked like a 90s action film. It had that weird kind of, you know, lethal weapon sort of vibe about it. Mm. The action stars zinging each other and just, you know, and having a good time and not being all serious and trying to be the great hero with classical music swelling behind mm. you. And, you know, it just looked like a knockabout cool time. Well, people seem freed up by uh, when it's a comic book adaptation. Everyone seems freed up to have more fun. Mm. And I think that was the key thing, that it's a lot of fun. What's, oh God, the lead so this, guy? Jeffrey Dean yeah, Morgan. Yes. Oh, I never would have picked him as a leading man, but he owns it. He absolutely He looks just in the, the trailer. He looks yeah. really charming and really kind of affable mm. in the trailer. And I'm a big fan of Idris Elba, too, from The Wire. Oh, he's he, good, yeah, yeah. 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 And his character's name's Rock or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's uh, the guy who's not Columbus short, so yeah, I know who Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Issue of the day, um, which we've got to come up with a better title for it. Than that. Yeah, but um, you, you mentioned something very interesting on uh, Twitter that got everybody had to comment. I didn't on think it. it was that interesting, and then people just went, "Whoa!" Well, it's because everyone wants to be the person who thinks of the the yes. correct answer, don't they? Now the question was uh, actually, you tell the question. I tell the yeah. Well, um, basically, it started with the news, the so-called awesome breaking news that. Um, Uh, Frank Marshall, producer Frank Marshall, had um, commissioned screenwriter Tony Gilroy to write the first draft of the fourth Bourne movie. Mm. Which neither Matt Damon nor Paul Greengrass seem willing to come back for. Yeah, which is always a terrific sign Mm. when continuing a trilogy to have your star and director not want to do it. Mm. And And this was treated by various sections of the internet as being terrific news. I did not think it was terrific news, Mm -hmm. and um, not only because I'm a fan. I like a trilogy. It's nice and clean. It's three. Leave it alone. It's like a three. It's like a three act story. Yeah, it feels like a bigger version of that. It's it's natural. Exactly, and that's much more um, better reasoning than mine. Um, (laughs) And it's three books. Three, you know, there were three books, three Mm. movies. Damon and Greengrass did, you know, the well. Doug Lyman did the first. Yep. Greengrass did the next two. And, you know, it had its own look and feel and ended and, you know, it ended with bits mirroring the start and all that it, sort of it thing. Was it was neat. It felt yes. complete. Yeah. And so there's no need to go on with it other than making money. So, of course, Hollywood have decided to go on with it. It suddenly brought me to the, to the sort of fourth 
chapters in mm. film series. And the fact that, for me, fourth chapters never work. And so I, the simple question on Twitter after my, I don't think The Bourne 4 is a great idea at all, somebody name a fourth film that works. And well, that's what opened the floodgates. Well, what I think is interesting is no one was able to name a great fourth film. No. I've been going through, I've looked through a lot of film series. There are some decent fourth films. I would say the good ones I've got, I've got Star Trek for The Voyage Home or Whale of a Time, uh, <laughs> which is, it's no, it's not the best of the series, but it's, I think it's the highest grossing. It was the one that everyone, yes, uh, the general public loved the most. If you watch it as a series, it's a fun entry. I heard Rambo 4 was good. I haven't seen it. Nor have I. Okay, well, we won't comment on that then. Alien Resurrection, I, yeah. I like it, but it's in okay. that quadrilogy, that's, it's not a high point. No. People were mentioning it succeeds mainly as just being better than Alien 3. People were mentioning Thunderball. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like Thunderball. Thunderball's it's okay. Not great, but... Yeah, like... And again, Thunderball's the highest grossing bond adjusted for inflation. There you go. Uh, Terminator 4 is a film I enjoyed, but I think I don't think that's an argument for no, part 4. No, I wouldn't... That's a, yeah. Um, none of these films are arguments for part 4s. I no. would... Um, as far as Terminator Salvation goes, I... Yeah, I, like you, had fun watching it. I wouldn't defend it. Yep. Now, the, the, the best ones, I think... Another are... one, too, is really, I think, is Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which was an early effort from <laughs> Rennie Harlan, oh, of geez. all people. And it's actually... I don't mind it. Okay. I, well, again, I haven't seen it for a very long time, but um, I thought it was really clever at the time. All um, right. So that well, was another one for the, me. The best part fours I'm seeing are part of ongoing film series. It's yes. not like they made three and it finished and they decided to make a fourth. It's You've got... Um, well, for me, I'm one of the few people who likes Harry Potter 4. I don't understand the hatred, but that's part of an ongoing series. Mm. Star Trek is an ongoing series. Mm -hmm. uh, the other two ones I found was uh, Shadow of the Thin Man, part okay. of that Thin Man series, which is it's it's great. How and many Thin Man films are there? I think there are uh, six or, or seven, yeah. yeah. And it's it's the law of diminishing returns is in play for the Thin Man films, but they're all still really enjoyable. The the Lone Wolf and Cub series, right? part four is Baby Cart in Peril. Now, they're all pretty much... They're pretty much the same. I mean, part four has... Uh, uh, I'm surprised you watched all the baby cat films. Well, it was more that the box set looked nice, so I bought it and then right. felt obligated to watch it. But they're a lot of fun. Like, I watched yeah. them on SBS late at night. And they're Dying great, to but, watch them. Um, part four has uh, a, a deadly female uh, assassin who confuses her enemies by fighting topless. <laughs> now, that is an argument for part four, part four films, because you wouldn't have had that otherwise. But these I'd like all, to see that in Bourne. A Bourne film, yeah. That, that would be an argument I'd, for I'd like to see a topless assassin... Fight born. Those are all good. I think under bad we've got uh, like everything I, else. Well, worst. I've, under bad, I wrote <laughs> Die Hard Four and horror <laughs> franchises. But worst, um, Batman and Robin, The Phantom Menace, Lethal Weapon Four, Rocky Four, Superman Four, Wolverine. The part fours are bad. I would throw Die Hard. I don't understand why people love Die Hard 4. I think, look, I think as an action film, it's serviceable. As a Die Hard film, it's unforgivable. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the second half. I just think as an action film, it's overblown, it's misogynist, it's retarded, and um, has no sense of humour. Oh, like it has some sense of humour in the form of Justin Long. Justin Long was good. The um, comedy sidekick was good. I think it deserves points. I think the comedy sidekick was okay. Okay. But all right, let's let's lump that in with, yeah. with this. Let's make it a whole bad. Yeah, sorry. As like I'm an, and I'm an incredible Die Hard fan. Yes, and the fact that it kicks the Die Hard legacy in the balls with both feet 
is enough for it to become one of the worst for me. Okay. Yeah. So, but we've got... Good to see you got Rocky Four in there too. Well, look, I haven't seen Rocky Four, it's... but I just love the way you talk about it. I love that you say it's the worst studio film ever made. I love... No, what, what's the worst subplot? Worst studio film of the 80s. Of the 80s, all right. What's what's the subplot? Because I, I... Paulie falls in love with a robot. That phrase kills me. <laughs> There's nothing about that phrase I don't like. That's my that's my weatherall, armorall defense for like anyone that tries to tell me that Rocky Four is a good movie poorly falls in love with a robot don't come at me again because your arrows will just bounce off alright and, and it's, that's the um, what, do you, what do you call like the you know the top that's your royal flush that's your top hand that's your hand that doesn't, no hand, other hand beats well I don't know I think the quest for peace helps <laughs> I think uh, Superman 4 oh I, mm, yeah Nuclear Man Nuclear it's Man played by a dude like, named Mark Pillow <laughs> so um so basically we've pretty much arrived at the conclusion that we had at the beginning that we assumed mm. uh we've tested it fairly unscientifically and yes part fours are bad don't make part fours make a nice neat trilogy exactly make three three and out that's the best way to do it i've racked my brains for days since trying to think of more and they're really really not and i mean another possible one i thought of was maybe for i again i haven't seen it but horror buffs might like friday the 13th and this is very much in inverted commas the final chapter um with which ended with Corey feldman chopping jason up and it was kind of like the sort of revisionist and and Corey feldman and crispin glover were the two kids that jason was preying on no kidding Uh, and it's it's meant to be kind of okay Okay. So maybe add that to the okay. I'm more ones. of a Jason Takes Manhattan kind of man myself. <laughs> I'm a Jason, I'm a Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, in which Jason fights a telekinetic girl and finally gets Is someone who can fight on his level, unfortunately. Well, well, next time. Okay, we are going to be talking about the director now. Mm-hmm. Now, we've, we've selected the great Woody Allen. Mm. It's fair of us to, to select a director who's had much of an influence, if... Only not our film lives, but probably it. Well, we're both fans. Yeah, and we're both neurotic, so mm. it works. It is. Now, how much of his early... Because co- I, I always assumed I'd seen pretty much... I've long assumed I've seen pretty much everything he's made. Mm. And I've, I'll go through and I'll tell you what I haven't seen, because it's been quite a surprise. Bit of an eye-opener for me. I've actually seen them all, so... You have seen them all? Yeah, everything's ah. directed. All right, so the early comedies. Let's yes, start from the, the early funny ones. The early funny ones, as per Stardust Memories. I, I haven't seen What's Up Tiger Lily, but Take the Money and Run, Bananas, Everything You've Wanted About Sex, uh, Sleeper, and Love and Death. What a run yeah. of comedy. Has anyone had that hit rate? The Zuckers threatened to at one point, and then they got out of the game. Um, yeah. And then, sadly, they got back into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take the Money and Run, I believe, is, is for me, still one of his top five best mm. films. It's a pi- And it's a pioneer of the mockumentary format that's so common these days, too. Mm. People just weren't doing that back in the late 60s. Yeah. And it's just so clever and such... And, and, and it's a great extension, like a lot of great comedians that turn to film, mm. it's a great extension of his um, stand-up act. Right. Of I, surreal situations and referring to things that couldn't possibly exist. Well, when he takes surreal situations or high concepts like Sleeper, I think Sleeper is such a, uh, is, is such a masterpiece of a comedy because... It takes these extreme science fiction ideas, all of those, you know... It's a very 70, 60s and 70s science fiction film mm. for, done by Woody Allen. It's just... <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's very funny. I think my favourite in there is Everything You've Wanted to Know About Sex. Really? Just by virtue of having it on DVD and watching it a lot. 
Uh, I haven't got around to buying the other. So because I've watched it so many times, it's that for me is. But I know, you know, I remember loving bananas. I yeah, remember loving Bana- bananas has got some great gear. And he's in that office with all the exercise gear. Yes, that's <laughs> just fantastic. Which is the one is ta- take the money and run the one where he's uh, playing the cello in the marching band. Yes, I, that is <laughs> one of the great visual gags of all times. Everyone thinks he's such a verbal witty comedian, mm. and he is. But he does visual gags like that, like carrying the chair along every few feet, and you can't beat that. It is classic. Love and Death is almost my favourite in there too. Um, yeah. I mean, Take the Money Run is obviously my favourite, but mm. Love and Death would probably be second amongst that bunch for me. Again, Very great visual gags. Mm. Um, you'd think you have to know a lot about Russian literature to go into it. <laughs> I certainly don't. I just think it helps if if you do. Even if you don't, though, like me, mm. um, it's still absolutely hilarious. It's basically a Bob Hope movie. It's that kind of, you know, bumbling Lothario, you know, thinks he's the, the most dashing man and he's just a little geek um and no but it's just it's it's very very funny i saw it once on vhs about 12 years wow. ago so i need to revisit yeah you need it. to you need to re-up yeah then it gets into this this new phase with annie hall and manhattan and stardust memories and it's and it's it's such a clear maturing of mm. a style and you know it's such a cliche to say it but annie hall and manhattan are among the greatest films ever made absolutely um and he and doesn't lose that comic sensibility he just taps it into something a bit more dramatic and mm, adult particularly annie hall like um uh, annie hall takes again some of the visual humor and some of the applying surreal concepts to real life mm. that he used in his comedy films and puts them in the world of this um, lovesick neurotic mm. apparently early cuts of annie hall were even more berserk than the actual film yeah and he had yeah. to tone it down yeah uh, which is interesting because it's all very much a transition film but it's possibly the greatest transition film ever made and it's, it's, it's a man who's trying who's been pigeonholed in one style and wants to work in another and is aggressively crossing over but you can tell the early cuts are possibly a man struggling to let go of that mm. or even just I don't know uh, this yeah. is why I wish Woody Allen would utilise DVD. He won't do commentaries. No. You know, and can you imagine some early cuts? I know filmmakers yeah. don't like putting early cuts on there, but that's one that could really benefit from a great... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, great deleted scenes. Yeah. Um, and then he went from Annie Hall to Interiors, which yeah. is his straight-up impersonation of Bergman. I'm so impressed, because I wrote good. them down in the wrong order. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so impressed <laughs> that you knew that I'd done that. That's... Uh, and I love that Stardust Memories is kind of a look back. It's essentially a comment on the fact that he's become a serious director. It's his eight and a half. Yeah, that's the thing. It's his Fellini job. Because he's a he's a great fan of Bergman, Fellini and Curacao. Yeah. Sort of those big three foreign directors who are possibly the most... They seem to be the three foreign directors who Americans consider to be the big three. Mm. They seem to be the, the three that were most pervasive um, when foreign film was introduced to American cinemas around the 60s. Yeah, but but Stardust Memories is great. It's it's um it's not an easy film to like, but something about it just really agrees with me. There's something mm. about the score and the mood and um, the beautiful black and white look. Yeah, and it's, it is gorgeous. Mm, and the exaggerated situations and it's um and and a very critical look at himself and his mm. own career too. And a lot of people saw it as a lot of people are rubbed the wrong way by Stardust Memories because they think it's a film in which he denigrates his fans. Yeah. Because he's at the festival and there are all these kind of, you know, circus freaks right. <laughs> coming up to him for autographs. But it's not. It's to him, it's how Sandy Bates, the director character, sees the world. Yeah. It's how it's how Sandy Bates has become so threatened by It's saying something that, small and exaggerating it, mm, which mm. is but 
the film itself is actually more critical of Sandy Bates than anything else. I I like that in from Broadway Danny Rose onwards, it's pretty much him uh, taking yes, he's Zelig. Uh, I'm going to come back to yeah, it later. Okay. Um, I don't think... Oh, God, his filmography is too big. We're not going to have time to go through <laughs> everything he's done. But um, I find that he went from comedy to almost drama to pathos. I think Broadway Danny Rose introduced mm. pathos to his films. And you can sort of see that permeating everything from that point onwards. I mean, Purple Rose of Cairo has that. Hannah and Sisters Ab- has yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Most of... Yeah, definitely his 80s. His 80s. And looking at his uh, some of his more serious dramas, it, it occurred to me when I was looking at his films that I have not seen any of his serious, serious dramas. I haven't seen uh, Interiors or September or... Um, I think there was another... I, I wouldn't rush to September. I know, but the completest in me needs to yeah, see everything he yeah. does. September's the one Woody Allen film I cannot stand. Really? Yeah. Now I have to see it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is uh, that sort of 80s, 90s period where he sort of became this institution to a certain class of people, mm. if I may you know, dangerously use that term. Um, he became this, I don't know, there, there, was, there was a sense that sort of upper middle class people who like going out to restaurants, you know, yeah, yeah. the people he depicts in his films are mm. the ones who go and see his, yeah. his films. And he became a sort of institution. But they're the people he's usually satirising. <laughs> well, yes, they didn't realise that though. Yeah, it's the Barry McKenzie situation all over again. It's yeah. like Ockers and Bogans go and see those movies and go, oh, that's us, so we love it. And it's like, yeah, he's taking the piss. <laughs> and it's Which is the, the greatest part of New York, New York pseudo-intellectuals who, you know, mm. who prize themselves as above the mundane, you know, uh, pressures of life and love are the people he's satirising. And, yeah, and they're the people that are seeing themselves reflected in love. It. It's mm. weird. It's like well, they're not the, getting the joke. Well, there are a few uh, a few classics in there that sort of don't... They've sort of been forgotten a bit because they come in between such uh, significant periods as Crimes mm. and Misdemeanors. And love that. Shadows and Fog, Husbands and Wives, Manhattan Murder Mystery, Bullets Over Broadway. They're films that have almost been forgotten a bit because they're overshadowed by the <coughs> Annie Hall Manhattan phase and then his bad 90s phase and then his good 2000 phase, mm. uh, which we'll get to in a second. But it does sort of seem like those films would be forgotten and it's a shame because they're as good as anything he's done, I think. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I would definitely say that about... Um, I mean, there's Alice in there as well. That mm. um, I think Alice and Shadows and Fog were a slight dip. Um, Crimes and Misdemeanors is... is um, is uh, ranks with the best of anything he's done, mm. and I thought it was a better look at the role of fate and chance and circumstance destroying one's soul um, than Match Point. And then we get on to uh, after uh, everyone says I love you, we get on to deconstructing Harry, which is again for me is his best film of the nineties. Well, that was my gateway film into Woody and Allen. Really, that was the first one. Well, I was uh, God, how I was about seventeen at the time and went along to the movies. And I, I'm sure my parents showed me. In fact, I know they showed me Purple Rose of Cairo. Mm-hmm. I know I'd seen, watched some stuff with them. Um, but deconstructing Harry was the first time I went along and said, "I'm going to watch this film because it looks funny." Mm. And and I had a few people, people you knew in it. Probably. Exactly, I couldn't yeah. believe the cast. And uh, yeah, and from that point on, I was just I was smitten with his films. But yeah, deconstructing Harry is extraordinary and I kind of feel like I would have got more out of it if I'd seen all of his films first and then seen it it's funny because a lot of people see husbands and wives as the sort of the film that signals the breakdown between him and Mia Farrow Mm. and the the thing with with Woody is like you think his films are personal and I mean to some extent they probably are but I think most of them he's at an arm's length yeah deconstructing Harry feels personal yes it feels like a clarion call it feels like an um 
an angry man who's been a punching bag for the last five years for everyone saying, oh, are you sleeping with your stepdaughter and mm. all this sort of business? All the way, you know, to the divorce and all that sort of thing, and it's him striking back. It's jagged. Um, there are jump cuts profusely. Yeah. Um, the language in the film is the likes of which we'd never seen in a Woody Allen film. We'd, there'd been a little of it in um, in Husbands and Wives. Deconstructing Harry takes it to a new level. It felt like Woody Allen's return serve, and I love it for that. Let me ask you this. What do you think? Because there are a lot of, uh, after that point, he, he does take well, a noticeable dip. Yeah, I think he goes back inside. And he's sort of making films that look like Woody Allen films, but don't feel like them. I think they feel like them in terms of they've got that dialogue and they've got the cadence. Well, that's what I mean, got, surface level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're, 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 they're Woody Allen going from A to B. Mm. Um, yeah, celebrity, sweet and low down, small time crooks, curse of the Jade Scorpion. And then we get into, oh, 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 that's right. There's a second Woody Allen film I can't stand. Okay, now I think I know which one it is. Now I need to address this because I... I am a huge Woody Allen fan, and the way I know this is that I really enjoyed anything else. No, it's not anything else. It's I, not... I like anything else a lot. Really? Okay, yeah. okay. It's Hollywood Ending. Hollywood Ending is a giant turd. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, um, and it's, it's a film I thought was going to be quite interesting, because like, he plays a director who's going blind, oh, this looks fun, and it was just strange. Well, that was the first of his comebacks. Like he, there were, there was a yeah, there was a real sense around the time of Hollywood ending that this was his comeback film, and then there was that sense. Around I thought Melinda, Melinda and Melinda was the comeback film. That, that was, was the, the next one. That's, that's why of, there were so many false starts. Well, there's anything else in between that. I know, but yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a bit of buzz around Hollywood ending and Melinda and Melinda. Um, well, there shouldn't have been any buzz around Hollywood ending. <laughs> well, no, not, not in <laughs> retrospect. But anything else? What, do you have any idea why Quentin Tarantino said that was one of the twenty best films he'd seen since '92? <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? Um, I wanted an explanation. That's interesting. And yeah. I'll, I'm fascinated by I, that. The reason I like anything else is... Now, I know that Deconstructing Harry is Angry Woody as a writer-director. Yeah. But, help me. Anything else? Anything else is um, Woody playing Angry Woody. He's a Woody who'll smash your fucking car if you, <laughs> if you say the wrong thing to I, him. Never it's seen like, him. I've never seen him like that, and it's fantastic. And then the so-called, the film that returns, the, the film that was the greatest film Woody Allen made in 20 years, that I actually think is one of his most overrated. Is really? Ma- is Match Point. Okay, Match Point, I'm a huge fan, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you why. I really think that was the film, more than any other, where he's shed his usual conventions and just tried something completely. I've never seen a filmmaker get rid of what has worked for them for so long. Mm. And I think that was what was dragging down his, a lot of his 90s films, is that he was trying to reinvent what had worked so well for him. And at this point, he just shed it all, with the exception of like the font from in the opening credits. Yeah. Um, That's it's a completely new... But it's an energy... There is an energy to it that feels like uh, an, an angry young filmmaker, and this is his second film, and he's learned really? a lot in his first year. That's the sense I get from Match Point. I got the sense from... I agree with you that he submerged all of his style. Yeah, well, well, not his filming. His shooting style is the same. You've still got characters talking to each other from outside of frame and wandering sure. into frame and things like that and things being revealed on slow pans and, and, and all that sort of gear. But, yeah, he does. He surrenders his dialogue cadences. He surrenders the smart-mouth dialogue. He surrenders the Jewish pseudo-intellectuals in New York. Mm. It doesn't have a lot of energy for me though it doesn't feel like yeah it feels to me like an english journeyman director 
Right. That's how it feels to me. And it sort of feels like an English journeyman director doing a solid job on a script with fairly unlikable characters and uh, that, had, that does have a nice ending. I do like the last 15 minutes or so. Okay. Well, uh, following, following that, there was uh, Scoop and Cassandra's Dream. Now, I want to stop you there. Okay. Because these are films... Now, as much as Match Point is praised, Cassandra's Dream is thumped. I really enjoyed Cassandra's Dream. I am... Shamefully, I'm yet to see it, and I really want to. It's, to me, it's a much better thriller than Match Point is. It's certainly more tense. It's a lot more Woody, too. Okay. But English. Interesting. I love the fact that he's got Ewan McGregor and Colin Farrell playing Cockney Brothers. It's great. <laughs> um, with Tom Wilkinson as their uncle. Right. I mean, how do you not love this? Yeah, it's, it's a good um, cast. It is a good cast. And it's fun to watch those guys play Cockneys. But, you know, it's very tense and it's 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 it works on very basic, primal human decisions. And it just, I don't know, it just worked a hell of a lot more for me. Okay. And Scoop's just fun. But Scoop, again, is Woody returning to Woody, but in a very English sort of fashion. Yeah, it's he's still trying something a bit new. Like, he's still going on this European jaunt, mm. but um, it does it does feel a bit more like his old stuff. Vicky Cristina Barcelona, where are you on that? Yeah, I like it a lot. It's, uh, again, it feels like a Spanish scoop. It feels like yeah. he's gotten his act and taken it to Spain, mm. and but very thoroughly Spaniardized it, yeah. if that is indeed a word. And he gave Penelope Cruz a character to play, the kind of character she's not played since one of her um, Pedro Almodovar films. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone funny and passionate and crazy and yeah. Spanish, you know. It's a great performance, right? Yeah. But I, I love that he goes from that uh, that new, fresh energy of Vicky Cristina Barcelona and then digs out a script from the 70s he'd literally written for Zero Mostel. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. I mean, okay, it's, it's literally... Whatever it's whatever works. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that unintentional part, <clears> but <throat> it's... It's so good, and it's such a relief. Like as much as I'm enjoying this new phase, mm. it's such a relief to see oh, him do classic Woody and do it. it well. And Larry David, that's the thing. It's great. that kind of thing where it's like, I mean, so many people go, "Oh, it's disappointing. Oh, it's the same old." It's like, yeah, but yeah, as you say, he laid down the same old for a few years. It's nice to see a return to it once every five or ten years. Mm. You know, let's see him back in New York amongst, you know. And the dialogue is funny and Larry David's funny and Evan Rachel Wood's terrific. It's just great to see him back in that in that milieu again and um, and being playful and being kind of hopeful too. Like the film ties up very nicely and mm. I kind of like that in this instance. It's like it, it, it felt like Woody was being optimistic for the first time in many years and maybe... Yeah. It, well, there are hundreds and hundreds of films that are about love and this was about people thinking they were looking for love and actually they're looking for contentedness. Mm. And they find and like people are relatively happy with being content and that seems you're right it is a very positive ending and mm. it's a beautiful new ending it's some, someone had something new to say. And he's what 75 and he's got something new to <laughs> yeah. say that's that's pretty amazing. It's pretty great. Now, one thing I'm interested to hear top 5 Woody Allen films. Go. Was it the last one? What is it? Is no, it no, he's got he's got two more coming out. He's got You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger and Midnight in Paris. Okay, there's not been one in between those. I'm shocked. There's usually one every few months. That's all right. (laughs) Yeah, top five. Top five. Okay. This is where taking notes would have been good. Um, I, But I should have this to reel off because I did. um, I will say uh, number five would be Take the Money and Run. Okay, yeah. Number four, Deconstructing Harry. Mm -hmm. Number three, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yep. Number two, Annie Hall. Ah, no, number two, Manhattan. 
and number one, which I've now tipped the hat to, Annie Hall. But was it going to be anything else? Well, we have a very similar list because uh, I've, I haven't done this in any particular order, but the one to hit, probably at the top, Annie Hall, as you say, uh, Manhattan has, I think the opening of Manhattan mm. is one of the 10 greatest film moments of all time. <laughs> I've got Deconstructing Harry in there because it was such a, as, well, personally, it's such a big thing for me. That film was really introduced me to yeah, Woody yeah, Allen. Man. Everyone says I love you. Because ah, I love a musical. I do like that film a lot. It's so funny, and the songs are great, and it's just, <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's, it, it really is one of my favourites. Seeing um, Edward Norton in Primal Scream, uh, Primal Fear, Primal Fear, sorry, mm. and then seeing him in this playing a geeky, you know, <laughs> oh, I just love it. And uh, this might be a surprise, Zalig. Uh, is that a yes. surprise? Or... I knew you were coming back to it at some point. Well, yes, that's where you know that's, <laughs> that's top five for me. I think the way mm. he does the mockumentary, I, I can't watch it enough. It's it's very very funny film. That's again, uh, yeah. He basically created the mockumentary twice for me mm. in Take the Money and Run and then in Zelly. Yes, all yes. before this is Spinal Tap. The style of visual surreal comedy that the Zuckers kind of co-opted in the eighties, he created with take the money and run with uh, there's, there's so many forms so many things Woody Allen seems to have done before other filmmakers that I don't think he gets a lot of credit for yeah I, I think in his own way he's extremely innovative mm. um, maybe not so much these days but definitely in the 1970s but people yeah. don't remember him that way yeah but yeah it's ama- like he's definitely one of my favourite filmmakers and I just love that even in his you know late 70s I think mm. we're getting into now he's working at a breakneck speed there is a film coming out every year mm. And I just love that. I feel we're a bit spoiled. Yeah. He, well, he's always said that if he he does it because if he stops working, he'll just you know stop. Mm. He just take time. He'll laze around. He'll you know he'll procrastinate. Mm. This way, he doesn't procrastinate. He just pumps them out. Yeah. yeah, which is which is fantastic for us. We're the ones who get the benefit of that. Yeah, yeah. And 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 look, I mean, releasing one every year it does dilute the broth a little bit, and that's why we have that's what why we have our low periods like in the late 90s and early 2000s sure. but, but I will he take a bad up. film I'll yeah. take a bad Woody Allen film over a good most other people <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly I you know I would see every Woody Allen like every so called on the skids Woody Allen film except mm. for possibly Hollywood ending in September than any Prince of Persia or Ridley Scott Robin Hood <laughs> any day of the week well, there you go. All right. Well, that's our pilot episode. I think. How do you think we're primed for our first episode? Um, yeah, I, 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 I think some discussion is needed, uh, <laughs> and maybe to get rid of this cold. But that would be good. Yeah, mm, I, I'd suggest the constant that. coughing not a good factor for hell is for hyphenates. Uh, I think we can make it work to our advantage. It was very Woody Allen. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I like Woody Allen films. Hey, yeah. <laughs> thank you, darling. Thank you. Nice discussion. Nice discussion, sir. Thank you very much. Tune in week one.